I just want to do a plug for the Vegan Business Tribe because I have to say, when I joined Vegan Business Tribe a year ago, when I came across you, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll join that because I support them. I didn't actually think I was going to learn much because I've been in business for a very, very long time. But I have learned so much from you, David. I'm so grateful. All your online courses, that marketing course, this time last year, I did not know how to write a marketing plan. Now I'm the marketing manager for my business. It's all laid out. I know what I'm doing. I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. Yes, I'll do that. No, I'm, I never thought I'd be that person. So I'm going to say Kira and um, thank you so much. I really recommend get in there and look at all the free stuff um, that you get when you're a member. I also recommend watching the business clinics. I have learned so much from watching other people in business talk about their issues and David and Lisa give them advice. So massive recommendation to everyone. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of the Vegan Business Tribe podcast with myself, David Pennell, co-founder of Vegan Business Tribe. And if you have a vegan business or you're just thinking about starting one, then Vegan Business Tribe is here to support you and to inspire you, not just to build a vegan business, but to build a successful vegan business. And the wonderful woman that you just heard there, that was Yolanda Sobel from Yolanda Sobel Literacy, who is one of our New Zealand members. And Yolanda, she gave that testimonial completely unprompted at one of our recent online events. And I have to admit, that meant a lot. Yolanda, she is a rock star, both in early years education, but also in the vegan scene in general. And I know she's also a regular listener to this podcast, too. So I wanted to return the favor and give her a shout out as well. So if you are trying to teach a young person to read at the moment, whether you're a teacher, a parent or a carer, then do go check out YolandaSorrell.com. And that's Sorrel spelt S-O-R-Y-L, just for some great resources and programs that you can use. And if you're not yet a vegan business tribe member, then don't just take my word for it. Take Yolanda's and check out the website at veganbusinesstribe.com. Just click on the join button on the homepage and let's see if we can help you grow your vegan business too. So after that lovely opening, let's get into today's episode where if you like pies and who doesn't, then you're going to be in for a real treat. And that's because today I'm sharing an interview that we recorded recently with Esther Pearson, who is the managing director of Clive's Purely Plants, who you might know better as Clive's Pies. And this is a treat of an interview, not just because Clive's Pies and Quiches are so good, but because Esther led Clive's through their transformation to becoming a vegan-only food manufacturer and brand. 
And now they're listed in a number of national supermarkets and retailers, as well as stocked throughout the country in independent shops and delis too. And Esther, she's got a lot to share about that journey. But the reason that we're talking to Esther today is because we are currently on our road to Vegan Business Tribe Live at the London Olympia, sponsored by vegan accountants as part of VegFest UK. And this is the biggest thing we have ever done at Vegan Business Tribe. Two full days with more than 20 speakers and workshops to help you grow your vegan business. And if you can get to London on the 12th and 13th of November 2022, then I really want to see you there. I want you to be camped out at our stage for the entire weekend. It's going to be that good. And Esther from Clive's Purely Plants is going to be one of our panellists talking about how to find investment and how to scale up a vegan business. So we recorded this interview to give you a preview. Vegan Business Tribe Live is part of VegFest UK at the London Olympia, and that is the UK's biggest vegan expo. And we've got our own area and our own stage. So all you have to do to join us is buy a ticket to VegFest and you get access to the whole of Tribe Live for the entire weekend too. And that ticket is just £15 for the entire weekend, which is just crazy value for everything that you get access to, not just us, but everything else that's going on at VegFest UK. And in fact, I think it's only £10 if you just want to come for a single day. And I just want to mention that we could not do this event without the help of our main event sponsors, Vegan Accountants. Yes, we even have Vegan Accountants now. And you can find out more about them at veganaccountants.co.uk. And Vegan Accountants, they're our accountant too at Vegan Business Tribe. So you cannot get a better testimonial from that. And Keith Lesser from Vegan Accountants will also be hosting a couple of the sessions over the weekend just to help you get your business on sound financial footing. And you definitely don't want to miss that too. Then we've also got our two support sponsors, who is Matali from Vegan Publishers, who will also be around all weekend if you've ever thought about writing a book to promote yourself or your business, and Karen Ridges from MAD or Make a Difference Promotions, who is our media partner for the weekend. To see the full lineup of speakers and to grab your ticket, just go to the Tribe Live section of our website at veganbusinesstribe.com. So that's Saturday the 12th and Sunday the 13th of November at the London Olympia as part of VegFest UK. And Lisa and I, we genuinely want to meet as many of you in person as we can. I 
am joined today by Esther, Managing Director of Devonshire-based Clive Pies. And Esther, I wasn't actually sure if I should be introducing you as Esther Pearson because you've just returned from your honeymoon, actually, haven't you? I have. I have. Honestly, it's it's been an amazing whirlwind of a summer. What an incredible summer. And yeah, really excited that um, we squeezed in a wedding in between and um, had an amazing honeymoon. We went to Italy and it was beautiful um, and I'd never been before. So it was amazing. It was beautiful. Thank you. So Esther Pearson uh, <laughs> and, or uh, Esther Clives, as I get often called, or Esther Pies. <laughs> All of those things are fine. Even better. Well, what a lovely note to start on as well. Uh, but for those that don't know about Clive's Pies, tell me, what does the company produce? Well, quite obviously pies, but what does it actually stand for as well? So we're actually called Clive's Purely Plants, but we're really known for our amazing pies and uh, the, the business is really bedded in its pie making history. Uh, so Clive's Pies is a familiar name and something that everybody is always going to call us. But we did rebrand a couple of years ago to Clive's Purely Plants because actually, as a business, we make the most amazing vegan ready meals and we just happen to put them in pies. It's more of a transportation issue uh, than than anything else. And that's a bit of a clue to how Clive started, really. Absolutely. And can I just ask, how many people do Clive's employ now? Oh, we um, employ around 42 people. Um, here in Devon, in Dartmouth, and we've got an amazing factory and um, uh, we've got a fantastic team. One of the reasons why we moved Clive's to Dartmouth, we were we were up um, in Buckfast Lee before in an old woolen mill. That's another story. And uh, one of the reasons we moved it to Dartmouth is we're really keen to employ people in a place that's amazing to live in. So many food manufacturing businesses, for all the right reasons, exist on business parks in the middle of no place. And actually, um, we wanted to take the business to where people want to live. So uh, we're really lucky to draw on lots of the local communities and have people who can walk to work, which is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And I think in terms of distribution, you're actually stocked, I think, in, is it Morrison's, Waitrose, Asda, and a few of the online delivery services too. So there's no excuse for people not going out there for trying a pie themselves, is there? Absolutely. I mean, Clive's history is actually in the independent food sector as well. So you can go on the website. Uh, this is not a plug, but if you're looking for a pie, uh, you can go on the website and we've got a cute little pie finder. So you can pop in your postcode. Actually, there's hundreds of independent food shops up and down the country that also stock a really big range of Clive's products, usually in the freezer. Um, but you can often find us in independence in your local community as well. So, yes, everything from small retailers, delis, independents, farm shops, up through to some of our biggest supermarkets. So you can always find a Clive's Pie close to you. That's what I love to hear. Okay, so let's get into this, because when we talk about a lot of vegan brands and products, uh, to the people on the outside, it often looks like these products have been an overnight success. But companies like Oatly and Vivera, they all started back in the 90s. But Clive's actually goes back even further than that. It's been a long journey to get to where the company is now. It's been a really long journey and it's been a journey of many, many people. I, I'm privileged at the moment to be Esther Pies, but um, there's been all sorts of people part of that journey. And, and the most important person really was Clive, who had the inspiration back in the 80s. Clive and Lucy as wife well, were really ahead of their time. They um, saw that actually um, eating animals wasn't necessary 
and um, in our diets. And they really worked to look at how they were going to um, create a vegetarian lifestyle for themselves initially and later started to introduce some vegan products. And they really were ahead of their time, weren't they, in the 80s. There was very little available in the ready-to-eat sector. And they started creating amazing ready meals. And I alluded at the beginning to the transportation issue, and it really was. So it was about the delivery of the pie. So Lucy and Clive started putting their ready meals in amazing pastry uh, in the form of a pie and delivered them on their bicycle in the communities in Devon. And that's the beginning of Clive's. So it's really thanks to Clive and Lucy for having the initial inspiration and the tenacity to set themselves up, the bravery to put themselves out there. And um, from, you know, little little acorns, um, Clive's grew. Uh, Clive and Lucy started the business in their own kitchen and quickly realised that that wasn't going to work. And so took a little commercial kitchen in an old woolen mill called Hamlin House in Buckfastley. And there the business remained uh, for 32 years until I stepped in. So Clive and Lucy had sold to another husband and wife team, Sally and Chris Carson, who with bakery manager Bernie had done a really good job of slow growth in and incremental growth and important things like also introducing a vegan and gluten free offering, which is still core of what Clive's do today as well. And that's just wonderful having all that history behind you. And that, that, you know, that whole story that you can build on, this idea of Clive actually going out on his bike, delivering these pies. That's just something wonderful that you have built this brand around. But you just alluded to there that Clive's didn't actually start out as a vegan company. And I know that you're vegan yourself and you joined, I think it was, was it 2018 that you joined that's us right. as Money Down? Yeah. yeah. So, so, but the company itself, it went fully vegan in 2020. So what was the actual driving force behind that change? Was it just seeing a gap in the market or was something more behind that decision? It's a bit of both. I think when we take ourselves to these incredible endeavours trying to run a business and lead a business forward, it's always a real mixture, isn't it, of personal passion along with um, uh, commercial aims and endeavours. And I actually had my own eureka moment, very similar to Clive and Lucy. And um, having worked in the charity sector for 20 years, I took a sabbatical for three, three, three or four months, sitting under a tree in New Zealand, I thought, do you know what? I really feel like I could add some value in the vegan space. So it was my own commitment to my vegan lifestyle that really drove me to question the dairy, the egg, and the other vegetarian ingredients that were in the business at the time. So I have to confess it was personal motivation. And, uh, but of course the market was really moving. It also makes sense, though, from a manufacturing point of view, as a small business trying to manufacture quite a big range of products in a small space, it really makes sense to remove any animal products because it gives us a real authenticity as a business. It, it helps us manage allergens better on site. So there's some real proper practical issues as well um, and benefits. And it's been the best thing that we can do, along with the fact that I can enjoy everything Clive's makes. Wonderful to hear that as well. And I think quite often it is down to one person being the champion and, you know, pushing that change forwards. But when you've got a company the size of Clive's, not everybody there is going to be vegan. So what was the kind of internal reaction to that change? 
Well, the business owners at the time, Sally and Chris, were incredibly understanding. Um, Sally herself was on her own vegan journey and she could really see the benefits as well. And uh, and it really made sense from a practical manufacturing sense. But it was quite, it did hurt us, I won't lie. Um, uh, so financially, it really did hurt us. And our best-selling product was actually a vegetarian product. It's a very big, brave decision. So, yes, there was some pushback. Yes, it required some real deep searching and um, some some consideration of how we were going to manage that financial impact. But actually, everybody became really committed to the idea over time and they were fully behind the change. So there's been no, no uh, pushback. But I would say we still get emails from customers asking us for that best-selling cheese-based pie. And I say, I'm sorry, we don't do that anymore, uh, but try this instead. So it gives us a great way of, of, of uh, encouraging people to take their own little vegan steps as well. Let me just dive into that a little bit more in terms of actually how you manage that change. So it's a personal passion project a little bit of actually pushing that change through, but you saw the commercial advantages of it, which you've already gone through. But how did you actually manage that with the staff in general? What Was it a case of actually sitting down with people and making the business case for it? Or, or was it just a little bit of saying, you know, this is the way the company's going, you need to follow? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not really that type of leader, um, the latter scenario. Um, so I am um, quite persuasive, I would say, uh, by character. I'm very tenacious by character. Uh, my first step is always to listen, though. And um, I was very new to the industry. So it was really important for me to be properly listening to everybody around. So the owners, everybody in the business and really understanding everybody's viewpoints and also the customers of course it's not just about the internal it's the external change as well so it's about firstly listening and understanding what that impact would mean in the business and, and why that step hadn't been previously made and all the considerations and potential objections to that and really weighing it up properly in the business case not just looking for the evidence for the decision that we've already decided to make but looking at the uncomfortable truth, the, the financial reality and the personal uh, impact as well to those customers and the shoppers, as well as the internal staff members. Um, and then understanding and listening and really acknowledging that, that these risks may still transpire and why it was still the right thing to do, even with facing those risks. So it's always a stage process. I think people I've worked with before have said that I, I try and create a change through consultation and through listening and through presentations and rationalizations and explanation and showing and demonstrating the benefits. But really, when I'm convinced about an idea, um, I've been told before that even in the face of challenge on obstruction or no, a simple no, is my superpower is probably my ability to go away and find another way to achieve the same objective. So um, I'm, I'm actually just being really upfront about it to the point that people would go, well, actually, is it better for me to just accept this change now? Because I know it's going to come and you're going to find another way of making it happen. So I might as well accept it and, and go with it. So 
actually, well, by the time we made the change, everybody was fully behind it, I'd like to say. Change management is so important in a company and especially that internal communications, that internal dialogue as well, because there's always a lot of uncertainty, you know, when a business starts to make a fundamental change. But it all paid off because last year in um, 2021, Clive secured major investment from Veg Capital, which is the vegan investment fund co-founded by Matthew Glover, who is the uh, Veganuary founder. Now, Finding an investor, that is always a huge milestone for any company. So I've got to ask, how did that happen? Was that a conscious decision to actually go out there and find investment? Yes. So the previous owners and myself um, had sat down and realised that we needed a new manufacturing unit. We had really insecure space in a leasehold building and we were manufacturing over third, fourth and fifth floor. So it was a very big need to establish a manufacturing base for the business or make a big brave decision to uh, commission that out and co-manufacture. We decided we'd always owned our manufacturing from the very beginning and that felt right for Clive's. So uh, we set out to find a new premises and alongside that we realised that there was huge financial pressure on us. So I sold my house, I invested our money um, to help us finance that change. The previous owners also dug deep and we we were managing that financially, but we knew to uh, accelerate the growth of the business, not just the capital investment, but the revenue investment as well. We needed to bring on an outside investor. So we started by talking to trade partners initially, and we talked to some amazing businesses who were incredible at what they did. But in the background, I'd always had a really good connection with Matthew and I'd really sought his advice and his his mentorship. And I've been lucky enough to uh, have time with him at various points in the business. And he at the time was setting up Veg Capital. And so it was about a timing. It was about a timing opportunity. And Matthew and I sat down and we realized that um, all my concerns about managing the process of change and the cultural change in the business and the exiting of the previous owners all need to be managed really, really carefully. And having a partner on board where our culture, our culture and values fitted like a glove was the most important thing. And having uh, I was very, very lucky in that I'd actually attracted other investment as well. So I was in a position where I could choose um, and we could choose as a business. And it, it was about that cultural fit that actually enabled us to make that, that decision and to um, bring veg, attract Veg Capital's investment. And also the fact that we'd produce a very compelling uh, business case for how Clive's could accelerate our growth in our new facility, which obviously made financial sense as well to the fund. I have heard so many people say that when you go out and find an investor, it's not just about the money. In fact, sometimes the money is secondary. It's about bringing that new partner into your business. And that's why it's just as important to actually almost vet the investor and make sure that they're a brilliant fit for the business. So it, it, it's brilliant to hear you say that as well. Can I just ask, though, so um, you said there that you actually attracted a number of investors to the business. So what were these investors looking for? Because just making a vegan product, it's not the niche that it used to be. So what kind of pitch were you having to make to these investors? 
think Clive's was in a really good position at that point in the not only where where we had we gone through this rationalization of range and very clear position in, and proposition in the market we we're very clear about what we were doing we'd gone through a process of rebrand so we and brand refresh so um it, it, you won't have to look very far on google to see some of the old look and feel that clive's had uh, which was fantastic for the time everybody they'd done an amazing job at the time but it wasn't really what clive's was and and certainly not now so we had an amazing opportunity um to rebrand and we did um so we had a really compelling brand a very clear position in the market and also this manufacturing facility that we had bought freehold and we were under in the process of renovating and at the moment our factory is as we've moved in and we're just in our first year of operation and really getting going and we're currently only about 20% full so we've got we've made the capital investments to accelerate our growth so it wasn't just about we've got a great brand we've also got great manufacturing fantastic facilities brilliant team in a great position and we know where we belong in the marketplace and we'd really proven that over time so it was getting a number of things right they're still not right i mean you know nothing's perfect i would be very honest about that but we're getting it more right than it was before so we it's a, it's a constant story isn't it you're never done as they say. I don't think people always appreciate how much work businesses do to get investment ready to actually get to that point where they're going to be attractive to investors as well. Because I think a lot of people think they'll just come up with an idea for a new business or a new product and they'll go out there and find investors. But investors don't want to just give you money to, to kind of test out an idea or to, to pay off your debts or something like that. They actually want the money they put in to have a transformational effect on the business. Yes. And I think actually... Strangely, my 20 years as a fundraiser and being in the charity sector actually was a that was a very good grounding for for fundraising essentially because that's what I've done all my career and it as you said you're totally right David it's about that transactional relationship it's not just about me and my story it's about Clive's as an entity what I'm bringing and what an investor can bring, and what Clive's can give in return, and what their investment is going to enable Clive's to do now and in the future, and how that's going to accelerate growth. Obviously, there are all different stages of funding, as we know, and Clive's was, um, it was quite unusual, actually, uh, our position, having being a manufacturer as well as a brand, being what does Matthew call us? A thirty-five-year-old startup, because we've got this, um, we've got this history and knowledge and expertise and all of that behind us. But we've got this challenger brand mentality, and so it was, it was uh, the investors seeing that in us actually the value of the history. Do you actually think that Clive's could have and maybe should have looked to investment earlier? Uh, oh, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I would say that um, I would say that probably the thing that we did was underestimate the amount of investment that was needed in the um, revenue. So, so in revenue spending, in people, in getting people on board to 
professionalize and drive the business forward. So we've been very good at understanding the impact, financial impact of capital investment and sweating your asset and asset utilization and what that meant financially, but not very good at understanding, actually, you need the people to drive that. So that's the bit that we were a bit slower and um, I'm only really just getting right now. Uh, That's been the challenge for this year. And it's been a very, very, really challenging market, as we know, in recruitment. And um, and we're really getting that team together now. And we've got an amazing team on board. So at the time that we did the deal, um, we had just recruited a technical manager. Uh, we didn't have anybody in commercial. We didn't have anybody in marketing. We didn't have anybody um, heading up operations. It was all the directors and myself. So we had these very, and that won't be new news to lots of the listeners here, is that you have to be jack of all trades. And actually, the thing I would have done differently is getting professionals, getting specialists at their area of specialism to do a a really good job of their area and bringing knowledge into the business earlier. At some point, you actually have to consciously decide that you are going to build a business. And part of that building the business, like you say, is getting those people, those pillar people, as we call them, you know, in place to actually drive that business forwards. But we also know that as part of investment, that always means giving up some equity in your business. We, we've all seen Dragon's Den. We know how this works. So was this something that you could have done without that kind of investment coming in? Could you have self-funded it and, and kept that full ownership? Or would that just have been too slow a route to actually scaling up? I think it was about um, age and stage. And I think it's really important to remember that we're we're part of our business's journey. Our business exists outside of us personally. And so our journey, whether it's a startup, whether it's a 35-year-old startup like Clive's, it's about recognizing where people are in that journey. And for the previous uh, uh, shareholders and myself, I'd come in as a minority investor, it was, it was not right for them to take that accelerated journey. So actually it was right that they exited at that point and it was right for them. And so having the right ownership structure with a shared ambition and knowing when your time is up as well, is is probably one of my key takeaways and remembering that um, it's not our baby. It's not our third child. It's a business and everybody needs to know when their journey begins and when their journey ends. It's lovely that you've got that transition going on and it, 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 it's lovely that you're almost stewarding that into the future as well. Absolutely fantastic to hear. Just moving on then. So, a lot of vegan companies, they want to get their products on the supermarket shelf. I know from speaking to so many vegan businesses that it's not always the kind of golden challenge that companies think it might be because you're always exchanging that, that margin for volume. And in fact, um, we've actually been approached by companies at Vegan Business Tribe who've just got a listing with somebody like Sainsbury's on a three-month trial. And they're now in an absolute panic because they've just realised that they need to drive the sales themselves through that retailer if they're going to keep that listing. So tell me a little bit about Clive's strategy. So what's your strategy being around getting listed? Has it just been a lot of door knocking or is there a set route to getting into the nationals? There's no set route. I love to tell you it's A, B and C and then tick. It changes. I think it's really important to Uh, recognize that whatever you've done before that you've been 
and it's been a successful route or an unsuccessful route is not necessarily going to be successful or unsuccessful next time. And I'd love to say to you that um, it's the same method, an email, a phone call, an introduction, a presentation and what's in the presentation. I think there, I think we have to remember as brands that a retailer is giving us an opportunity. And in order to gain that opportunity, we've got to demonstrate why what we have to offer is going to bring incrementality to their range. They're not interested if we're going to take take away sales from something that's already there. We've got to offer something different, something that attracts a new shopper, that gains a higher rate of sale because it offers something different. We really need our data. We need to know the data. We need to understand what's in, what's performing, what's not performing, and why is it not performing, and know what we have to offer offers something different and offers incrementality. That's number one. And that's quite hard to do if you're not already in. So once you're in is using that space and using the space really wisely. So much I've learned, so much I would do differently given my time again, and so much I would change going forward. It's about really working your space on shelf and remembering that the retailer is not going to do that job for you. They're not going to tell you how to drive trial, how to drive rate of sale. They're not even going to tell you um, what the opportunities are or where the range review windows are or um, how to be successful in their store. Even on an incubator scheme, of course, you get a lot more support around that. And I definitely recommend that as a great way of getting into a retailer. But our job is to uh, really understand that it's our job to sell from that shelf space. It's not the retailer's job. And once we've got that mindset, then whatever the retailer is doing on top of that adds additional value. And so us being super proactive, showing our incrementality, showing how innovative we are, identifying when we're not performing and saying our product's not performing. We've tried X, Y, and Z, and it's not performing. We can see that there are opportunities we've missed around secondary space, around uh, features, um, around mm -hmm. events. We would like to get into those opportunities because we think we can overcome some of our poor performance and gain incrementality and drive trial. I think that point that you made about understanding what the supermarkets want is, is really, really important. We were chatting to the head buyer of Booth supermarket last year, and he said, yes, don't bring me a, a vegan sausage. Don't bring me a vegan burger. We've got all those. We, we're already on those secondary ranges now. We're looking for vegan scotch egg manufacturers. We're looking for even vegan caviar manufacturers, you know, these sorts of secondary products now. So, you know, actually understanding what that supermarket wants is really, really important. But how did you actually start those initial conversations with supermarkets? Because, again, I've interviewed businesses in the past and they said, well, we just sent Tesco an email and they invited us down. And, and so we, we cooked up some of the product and they tried it out and they liked it. And then I'd say, well, how long did that process take? And they said, oh, two years. And it's like, well, it didn't happen like that, did it then? So just give me some of that actual details. Of, of how did you start those conversations with those supermarkets? Well, so first, it's luck and timing, first thing which I know is not helpful for listeners, but it is. So, and recognizing that your luck and timing will happen. So don't 
don't lose faith. Don't lose faith. You know, you've got to be tenacious and 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 not um uh, not lose sight of your goals because it's going to be tough. Whatever you do, it's going to be tough. So specifically with us, it was about opportunity around you know don't forget this was in 2018 so it was um very very new uh when i contacted clives and said how do you fancy taking on the oldest apprentice in town because i'm your biggest fan and i think i can do a great job for you and they very luckily agreed to see me um it was the most audacious email i've ever sent despite all the emails other emails i've sent to retailers which are also audacious um so so that that coincided with Waitrose seeking new products for the first ever vegan fixture. So it was about luck and timing is the first thing. Demonstrating our success in one retailer and then using that to demonstrate your ability to be successful in other retailers is also very, very important. There are things that I've definitely done well and things I would do differently, which I mentioned earlier. So specifically with retailers, it's understanding your route to the decision maker. Who is the decision maker and how can you get your product in front of them? By hook or by crook, we're, we're foodies, aren't we? We're, this is about our food and, and going and showing out. So, you know, I want to bring my pies to every opportunity and show my product. I want to be really proud of my product. So getting time an opportunity to get your product in front of buyers is super important, number one. So whether you can employ the um, the support of a local uh, connection to the buyer, find out where the buyer lives. Um, is there an opportunity to meet in a coffee shop and just get a one-to-one time, a little coffee, an informal chat? It's got to be a great start and, and delivering product yourself. Um, so product in front of buyers, tenacity and finding different routes to decision makers, understanding what their agenda is. Like it's a no point in me proposing my pies if they feel that they're overranged in hot pie. Actually, are they overranged? Let's look at all those retailers. So we've done category reviews across all retailers to look at of every single product we produce. How is their ranging? How much vegetarian offering have they got? How much meat offering have they got? How much vegan offering? Trying to get data to support, actually, when is the optimal point? Do, do we start to cannibalize sales if we have too many products? Or how can we demonstrate that incrementality? That's key as well. I think one of the other things I would say um, has been really helpful in our relationships with retailers is putting ourselves in their shoes. So what are they trying to achieve in their category? When they look across to other retailers, what are they envious of? What have they learned that doesn't perform well? And how can I, as a brand, help them in their mission? So less about Clive's and more about them. That helps, definitely. I think that word that you use, tenacity, I think that's one of the most important words in business. That kind of, you you just keep going, you set yourself that goal and you don't stop until you get there. And that's, I think, why, you know, the most successful companies, they have these years of going to trade shows and just trying to get into the same space as these buyers to get familiar and get in front of them. And it's just an absolutely amazing journey that people don't always see. But I think also a lot of people don't understand the step up that it takes to actually supplying somebody like a, a national supermarket. You've got to be able to 
demonstrate that consistency. You've got to be able to demonstrate that output as well. I think consistency is key. So consistency from availability. So that's been number one. So we've been very good at never shorting our customers where you've got 100% supplier availability with most of our customers. And at worst, it's 99%. So if they've given you the trust to put something on their shelf, whether it's a small little deli store or Waitrose flagship store in Bracknell, the most important thing that we can do as brands is put our food on their shelf. It's rude. It's rude if we don't, in our view. So we will do everything. I've been in on a Sunday before Christmas with my entire family uh, packing pies. I've been uh, shaping nut roast at 10 o'clock at night in order to supply a customer. There is nothing I won't do to make sure that product hits that shelf. Um, and, and that flows through the business. Um, we will never short customers, number one. And you mentioned that with consistency. The thing we haven't been always brilliant at is I mentioned about that investment in those key pillars of people that you talked about. We didn't do that early enough. And what that meant was I was renovating a factory. We were doing an investment round. We got distracted. And actually, our account management has been not as consistent as I would like. Our investment in marketing and promotions hasn't been as consistent as I would like definitely learn from that we won't be making those mistakes again so consistency across the key product quality availability account management care being on it and being ahead of it what are the opportunities ahead and how can this retailer from delhi to supermarket trust me to provide great food to them when they want it. And again, that's part of building a business, that kind of roller coaster. When everything's happening and everything's too busy, you do take your eye off the ball of promotions and marketing and, and, and looking for new opportunities. And then everything goes quiet because you've not been doing those things. So, so again, everyone's putting things into that. And, and I think that's a part of maturing as a business as well, actually getting to that point where you do have that consistency throughout. And regardless of what you're saying about Clive's, I think you're getting there now. But we know that the vegan sector especially is hard right now. As I said earlier, vegan is not the niche that it used to be. Every single supermarket now, which is a wonderful thing, but every single supermarket now has its own brand plant-based range. And I can go and pick up a litre of oat milk from, from Tesco's for 69p. So what's Clive's done? to keep that momentum going when so many other people are moving into your space. You know, so many people are out for that slice of the same pie, if you'll excuse the pun. We love a pun. We, we've got all sorts of pie puns. Uh, uh, so um, I think it's embracing it, actually. So if I'm vegan, lots of our listeners are going to be vegan. Every, lots of people in my business are vegan, which is fantastic. So, so surely we want everybody to be have that vegan choice so that's number one that's our motivator we want everybody to have great vegan food that they can choose in any retailer in any food service offering up and down the country so that's our motivator that's our driver so why wouldn't we want to encourage them to produce private label to produce different offerings Everybody, every shopper is looking for something slightly different because we are unique as individuals. And so making sure that we have 
and encourage and embrace retailers to have that mix of private label to brand and recognizing as a brand what we're offering that's different to the private label offer and how, again, we're going to gain incrementality for the retailer and how we can work with that money for that retailer. So it was one of the reasons why we continue to own our own manufacturing because we've got a very first BRC audit, which is very exciting on Monday, um, actually next week. And, um, and why are we doing that? We're doing that so that we can be the partner of choice for the retailer. So we can make their private label as well as sending them a, selling them a branded offering. I think just, just talking about that idea as well, of having your own manufacturing facility because so many companies go down the route of contract manufacturing instead because manufacturing is hard. It's a problem regardless of what kind of business you have. Actually making things gives you so many problems that you need to overcome. But when you've got that extra capacity, I don't think people always realise how attractive a vegan factory is. And, and it might well be that, you know, a, a large part of your income can come from going and offering that facility to other companies so that you can go out there and make their product as well. Absolutely. And it's always been part of our uh, part of our business plan is it's all the brand is always going to lead. And we've demonstrated over 35 years that there's a huge appetite love our puns for Clive's. Um, so we're going to keep on doing making Clive's. Of course, we're always going to make Clive's and the brand leads everything we do. But there's certain things I wouldn't make in Clive's. But there are things that I could make for other brands and other retailers. And so having that offer is really important. Um, we love manufacturing, I would say, and I love all of it. I love the process of it. I love the machinery. I love all of it. So whilst I get the opportunity to be out and about meeting with the retailers, I love every aspect of it. And there's something enormously satisfying about having an idea, creating a product, getting the listings and seeing it go live on the production line and 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 being part of the team that's brought that all together it's hugely satisfying just to follow up on that manufacturing aspect then i'm guessing what that also allows you to do is look at new product development a lot quicker as well if you're managing all that yourself because you have invested quite a lot in your gluten-free range so do you think we'll actually see a future where we'll just have that one product for all so instead of having a separate vegan and gluten-free lines we will just have that single sku Oh, that's really interesting, actually. And we find, again, that that's really important for retailers, particularly where they're limited on space. So having um, small store formats like convenience, for example, having an offering that's gluten-free and vegan, made in a vegan factory, no animal may contains, no dairy, no anything um, on the label. We're vegan society approved. We're also 100% organic. So small format format stores, I can really see that that offer will work really well. I think there are enough shoppers looking for just a vegan offering that actually for some people, something if you say it's completely free from or gluten-free as well is a bit off-putting. So although I love our vegan gluten-free pastry, it, a lot of gluten-free products aren't comparative to a gluten-containing cereal, potentially. And so it, there is an image problem, I think, with some gluten-free products. 
Just to round off this conversation, I want to come back to this point of scaling, because I think it's fair to say that how do we scale up? It's one of the most commonly asked questions that we get at Vegan Business Tribe from our members, and especially those members who are uh, perhaps making a product. So is it a case of just hiring more staff and moving to bigger industrial units? Or have you got any tips about how a company should actually approach that scaling up journey? I think looking at it like stepping stones is really important. So taking a snapshot in time. So if I want to be a three million pound business, what does that look like? What resources do I need? And at four and at five. So taking a moment in time and looking at what needs to be in place at those points in order to be successful. And then in order to hit that first step is what you needed to have actually done a year ago hit that first step and going back and getting that right. And some of the things for us that we've learned are around uh, some of the core fundamentals around product quality and consistency. So one of the key things around Clives is around is our clean label. So being a clean label, fresh made product, using lots of fresh ingredients, we get variability managing that variability so that we have consistency of product is really key for Clive's and actually we're we're still learning and we're getting that right but making sure that every single product you have is presentable to the waitrose buyer tomorrow and being super proud and that you have that consistency of product and that it's something you're super super proud of is a key fundamental and Clive's how we've learned so it's taken us 35 years we've probably arguably not learned fast enough but we've definitely learned how to get better at those things and our product at the moment you know and going forward will always be fabulous because we won't let it not be um so fundamentals getting your fundamentals right is really important and being prepared to take a step back to go forward is also really important. And then identifying everything you need in place for those key stepping points and allowing yourself time out of your really busy day to look at each of those steps and where you are on track to getting all of your routes to success in place. What have you missed? And sometimes we're so busy doing, it can be really hard to step back and identify what we've missed. Just to pick up on that one point about speed as well, because you mentioned earlier this idea of mentorship. In business, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. You know, you can go find somebody who has already done exactly what you're trying to do and let them kind of teach you and mentor you through how to do it. So is that something that you found useful too? Oh, it's always been really important in my career. Uh, and I hope that you've got in this conversation that I talk about we all the time because Clive's is not me. It's a whole bunch of people, past and present. And I have Lucy and Clive and Sally and Chris and Bernie on my wall because it's about all the people I've learned from in the past. And it's also about the people that I'm learning from now and in the future. And so um, what's my key skill is being a sponge and surrounding myself by amazing people and asking them, um, what would you be doing? How would you be successful? I feel like I didn't do that very well. How could I do that better? Every time I leave a meeting, I was in with a buyer yesterday, it was a really fantastic meeting. I came out and the first thing I said to my colleague is, what, what could be more than, what, what, what could we have done? And always be learning and always be listening and prepared to learn from that. 
um, is uh, is is really important and finding those mentors. And I think that's why the Vegan Business Tribe, the Veg Fest event, all of those opportunities where we've got to meet with one another and share ideas. Um, some of the best ideas, honestly, they come from unexpected places. Being open is 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 my big takeaway, I suppose. Well, thank you, Esther. This has been an absolutely great chat. So uh, just to round us off, I have been talking to Esther Pearson from Clive's Pies, or Esther Pies, as she's now forever going to be known. And if people want to find out more about Clive's or even want to rush out and buy a pie for themselves, where do they go to find out more? Um, so if you'd like to find out about Clive's, uh, obviously anybody can link in with me. Uh, they can come see me at VegFest. I'm really looking forward to the event. Uh, it's, it's in November, uh, 12th, 13th of November. Please come say hi. Um, also, have a look at Clive's Purely Plants website. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Come chat anytime. We love to talk pie. Thank you, Esther. And hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, David. See you soon. And I loved that session because Esther, she is a woman after my own heart. That idea of tenacity and finding a way to make something happen, that mental attitude can often be the difference between a company struggling and a company like Clive's Purely Plants thriving. And Esther, as I mentioned at the start, she is going to be joined by Mike Hill, co-founder of One Planet Pizza, and Steve Swindon from Love Satan on our panel at Vegan Business Tribe Live about finding investment and scaling up a vegan business. So just to remind you again, before I let you go, that's on the 12th and 13th of November as part of VegFest UK at the London Olympia. And to find out more and to get your ticket, well, just click on the Tribe Live tab on the Vegan Business Tribe website. And that is it. So again, thank you to our Vegan Business Tribe Live sponsors, vegan accountants, and also our support sponsors, vegan publishers and MAD or Make a Difference Promotions. And if you're not yet a member of Vegan Business Tribe, well, what are you waiting for? Your membership, it not only supports all the work that we do to champion the vegan business scene, but it's also going to have such a positive impact on your vegan business too. So thank you so much for listening. Go grab your tickets now to Vegan Business Tribe Live and I'll see you on the next one.